News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. New data shows senior citizens who live in elderly homes are seven times more likely to die from COVID than those who don't. The citywide COVID testing scheme is extended for three more days and the government's reportedly considering tax breaks for the shipping industry. The first official analysis of COVID deaths in Hong Kong has revealed that senior citizens who live in elderly homes are seven times more likely to die from the disease than people from the same age group who don't. 14% of infected care home residents in their 60s and 70s died after contracting COVID-19, compared to a 2% fatality rate for non-residents. The Hospital Authority's Director for Quality and Safety, Dr Chung Kin Lai, was asked why there's such a big difference. We think that this is probably due to those who are living in the residential care home. They usually have more chronic illness. They usually are much ill. We suspect that maybe they have a premorbid, their immune system is less good. So that or this group of elderly, in particular, we need to protect them from the, uh, touching the uh, coronavirus. The coronavirus death rate in Hong Kong is 1.8%, but the fatality rate shoots up for those aged 80 or higher. More than a quarter of people in their 80s who contract the virus die, while over one-third of cases involving patients over 90 are fatal. The study also found that men were almost twice as likely to die from COVID-19 as women are, with a death rate of 2.4 versus 1.3%. Health authorities have confirmed six new COVID-19 infections today, one detected via the Universal Testing Scheme. Around 10 more people have tested preliminary positive. The Centre for Health Protection, Dr Chuang Shuk Kwan, was asked if this is a good time to further ease anti-pandemic measures by, for example, letting bars and karaoke's reopen. It's never safe to promote social gathering or social activities during the pandemic. But, um, I mean, life has to go on. So we have to um, adopt the new normal and try to um, obtain, uh, I mean, maintain personal hygiene and social distancing as much as possible while uh, carrying on our life. The government has extended its COVID-19 testing scheme until next Monday, saying there's still demand for the free tests. Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nipp says more than 1.3 million people have already been tested, yielding 18 positive results so far. Health Chief Sophia Chan says the data from the scheme will help the government prepare for a possible fourth wave of infections, and the authorities are already putting the necessary measures in place. For example, our border control measures that we are going to also review, our contact tracing, uh, quarantine and also uh, isolation uh, facilities and also policies. We are also going to review and uh, ramp up that we are going to have more manpower for contact tracing and also increase the facilities for quarantine as well as uh, isolation. Meanwhile, concerns are rising over how the government deals with potentially contaminated trash from COVID-19 testing centres. After protective equipment like surgical masks were found strewn all over a key highway on Hong Kong Island, Shao K1 District Councillor Michael Kwok says the government shouldn't be disposing of these materials as clinical waste, not regular trash. Every night they just put those waste in front door of the testing center without any labels and they use some ordinary black plastic bag to store this kind of waste. 
A government spokesman said in response to concerns, officials have reminded cleaning contractors and supervisors at the testing centres to make sure any waste is handled properly and taken to a refuse transfer station every day. The government is reportedly eyeing tax cuts to ship owners to attract them to Hong Kong as the local shipping industry battles the fallout from Washington's suspension of a bilateral agreement sparing the sector from double taxation. This emerged from meetings between the chief executive Carrie Lam and pro-government lawmakers on her next policy address. Here's the Liberal Party's Frankie Yick. So I understand the government, after introducing the tax uh, reduction for the uh, maritime insurance and also the uh, ship uh, leasing arrangement, they may consider to go ahead with the uh, tax reduction for the maritime business uh, like people like uh, the ship owners, the ship uh, management companies, as well as those commodity traders, and trying to attract them to come to Hong Kong. Now, by doing so, that will, of course, counteract some of the impact by the unilateral cancellation of the DTA by the U.S. government. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Edward Yao, says he's still optimistic about the city's trade in the coming years, despite the twin challenges of COVID and the Sino-US trade war. He told an online seminar he thinks the city's got what it takes to ride out the storm. I remain optimistic for experience that Hong Kong has gone through. We, we, uh, we made ourselves a global trading city, not by government pushing, but by allowing the market to play out. So I think the biggest challenge, one, how we could allow the global trading system or the multilateral trading system as represented by the WTO to rejuvenate itself. It has to be as inclusive as possible, but at the same time, it should be able to differentiate those noises from legitimate voices. For instance, issues of uh, socioeconomic or environmental concern can always find a way to incorporate with trade. The lawyer for one of 12 Hong Kong people being detained in Sunjun after apparently trying to flee to Taiwan by speedboat says he's been denied access to his client because authorities say the suspect already has legal representation. Lu Siwei, who was hired by the detainee's family, suspects these are court-appointed lawyers. As Damon Pang reports, other lawyers appointed by the detainee's families are also trying to get access to their clients. Chengdu-based lawyer Lu Siwei has repeatedly tried to meet his client at the Yantian Detention Center, only to be turned away. Last Saturday, officials had told him his papers weren't properly authenticated. They also told him that his client already had two unnamed lawyers. He thinks that means the authorities had appointed the lawyers and the detainees were likely pressured into accepting this arrangement. Nonetheless, he's gone back with the requested authentication, only to be told he has to wait another 48 hours before they'll give a reply. Another lawyer, Shanghai-based Ren Chen Niu, says he's filed complaints for also being denied access to his clients. He's sorting out the documents, but he's still not optimistic that he'll get to see them even if he has the right papers. A new survey has found that the overall mental health of Hong Kong people has actually improved slightly from the beginning of the year. Timmy Sung has details. It's still not a pretty picture. The New Life Psychiatric Rehabilitation Association surveyed around a 1,000 people just before the third wave of COVID-19 outbreak started in mid-July. It found that the mental health of almost 60% of the respondents were bad, and the overall mental health score was at just 45 out of 100. 
Still, there was one single point higher than a previous survey conducted before the pandemic hit at the beginning of the year, when Hong Kong was still mired in often violent protests. Still, the protests are weighing upon the minds of many. More than half of the respondents say the social unrest is still having a quite large to very large effect on their mental health, which is up almost 15 percentage points from mid-2019. Psychiatrist Dr. May Lam said with the pandemic still not yet under control, the worst may be yet to come. A lot of factors are not um, truly reflected. Say, for example, with the economy downturn, with the high unemployment and um, the financial situation might not be that optimistic in the coming few months and years. We need to be alert of the mental well-being of all the citizens in Hong Kong. The doctor said people should try to be optimistic and exercise more to improve their mental health. Mainland authorities have reportedly given the green light to clinical trials for a nasal vaccine being developed jointly by the University of Hong Kong, Xiamen University and the Beijing Wantai Biological Pharmacy. Hong Kong U says their vaccine is the only nasal spray vaccine allowed to proceed to clinical trials by mainland regulators. However, human trials of a coronavirus vaccine developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca have been put on hold worldwide after a volunteer in Britain had a suspected serious adverse reaction. Here's the BBC's Fergus Walsh. This is the second time the Oxford coronavirus vaccine trial has been put on hold. Such events for major trials are routine, according to the Oxford team, and happen any time a volunteer is admitted to hospital and the cause of their illness is not immediately apparent. That leads to an independent investigation and then a ruling from the medical regulator, the MHRA. An Oxford University spokesperson said, in large trials, illnesses will happen by chance, but must be independently reviewed to check this carefully. International efforts are underway to help Greece cope with the aftermath of a fire that destroyed the overcrowded Maria migrant camp, leaving nearly 13,000 people homeless. Extra police have been sent to Lesbos amid reports of tensions between displaced migrants and local people anxious to avoid an exodus to the island's capital. Officials suspect that migrants, disgruntled at last week's coronavirus lockdown, set fire to empty tents. Dr Siana Mahru Shafi heads a health NGO on Lesbos. What could happen next indeed is something that I personally have been having sleepless nights over. And this was with shanties in place. Now, without shanties in place, our modelling calculations, which we've been doing for the last three months as this pandemic was evolving, demonstrate that within 10 days, the whole population will be infected. In my personal opinion, this is possibly going to be another massive human tragedy and right on our doorstep. At least two people have been killed and 12 injured in a bomb attack in Kabul that targeted the first vice president of Afghanistan, Amrullah Saleh. The BBC's Sekunda Kamani reports. Footage filmed shortly after the explosion shows a large plume of black smoke rising from the scene. The target of the blast was Vice President Amrullah Saleh's convoy. He has previously served as head of the country's intelligence services and is known as a vocal opponent of the Taliban, though they have denied responsibility for the attack. Speaking after the incident, Mr. Saleh said he had sustained a slight burn in one hand and vowed to continue his political work. Afghan officials are expected to begin long-delayed talks with the Taliban in the coming days in an attempt to reach a political reconciliation and put an end to years of bloodshed. 
The entire senior police leadership for the city of Rochester in New York State has resigned in the aftermath of the death of a black man in police custody. Rochester's police chief, Laron Singletary, and other senior commanding officers had come under intense scrutiny after news of the death of Daniel Prude became public last week. Here's the BBC's Nick Bryant. Daniel Prude died from suffocation after officers put him in what's called a spit hood, a piece of equipment designed to protect police from a detainee's saliva, and then pushed his head into the street. The 41-year-old, who suffered from mental health issues, died in March after being discovered by police naked and ranting. But video footage of his arrest has only recently been obtained by Mr Prude's family, sparking allegations of a police cover-up, protests in the city of Rochester and the appointment of a grand jury to determine whether criminal charges should be laid. Some business news. Official figures show consumer inflation on the mainland eased slightly. The National Bureau of Statistics announced that the consumer price index rose by 2.4% year-on-year in August, down from the 2.7% increase the previous month. The producer price index, which reflects prices that factories charge wholesalers, fell for the seventh straight month by 2% year-on-year in August. The figure suggests industries continue to recover from the COVID-19 outbreak. Human rights groups have voiced their opposition to China hosting the 2022 Winter Olympics. More than 160 rights groups from around the world have delivered a joint letter to the International Olympic Committee, urging it to reconsider its decision to award China the Games because of its human rights record. The letter cited the new national security law in Hong Kong and its treatment of ethnic Uyghurs in Xinjiang. In response, the foreign ministry in Beijing says it's against any attempts to politicise sporting events. To sport, we start with tennis. The 2018 champion Naomi Osaka is through to the semi-finals of the US Open in New York after a straight-sets win over the unseeded Shelby Rogers. It finished 6-3, 6-4 for the Japanese star, seeking a third Grand Slam title. Her next opponent is Jennifer Brady. The American defeated Yulia Putintseva 6-3, 6-2 to book a place in the US Open semis for the first time. Brady says the occasion would have been more special if there were fans to watch it. If the crowd was there, I think it would have been awesome, you know, to uh, have that experience, to, you know, even just experience the loud, you know, roar on ash uh, with 20,000 people. So I think, uh, you know, I'm, I definitely uh, would have enjoyed that. But, you know, the, the times that we're in, it, unfortunately, we can't have that. And I'm just I'm just happy to be out there competing. In the men's draw, fifth seed Alexander Zverev fought back from dropping the first set to beat Borna Koric in four. To basketball, the Miami Heat have reached the NBA's Eastern Conference final after they finished off the top-seeded Milwaukee Bucks in five games. Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic each scored 17 points in Miami's 103-94 win. In the West, the Los Angeles Lakers took a 2-1 series lead over the Houston Rockets with a 112-102 win. In ice hockey, the Vegas Golden Knights got even with the Dallas Stars by winning Game 2 of the NHL's Western Conference Final 3-0. Goalie Robin Lehner stopped 24 shots for the shutout. A reminder of our top stories tonight. New data shows senior citizens who live in elderly homes are seven times more likely to die from COVID than those who don't. The citywide COVID testing scheme is extended for three more days and the government's reportedly considering tax breaks for the shipping industry. The news from RTHK.
It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Labour Party lawmaker Fernando Jung says workers at elderly homes should undergo regular tests for COVID-19 to minimise the risk of them infecting elderly residents there. His call comes after a hospital authority survey found that senior citizens who live in local elderly homes are seven times more likely to die from the disease than people from the same age group who don't. Dr Jern told Jim Gould the findings are quite worrying and the government needs to think of ways to improve the conditions of these care homes and their staffing arrangements. It is uh, tragic. Uh, we understand that many uh, chronically ill and frail elders are residing in these care homes and unfortunately, as the um, pandemic has revealed, many of these care homes are in a very crowded situation and their uh, staffing ratio is rather low. Also, uh, there is a risk in addition to uh, these environmental factors, which is the uh, labors involved in the care homes, because we are looking at a not very small number of them being imported from mainland. Um, and uh, the chances are that uh, these viruses could be coming from outside rather than from within. So if we do not have protections uh, to make sure that the uh, workers who work there are free of these uh, virus, then uh, the chance of them getting infected and as a result, uh, the death rate, uh, mortality rate would, could be uh, rather severe. So we think that it is important to provide testing to uh, workers who are working in these care homes. And what about some staff uh, having jobs at several different homes and therefore possibly leading to a spread of the virus? Yes, that is unfortunately another practice uh, among these um, imported labourers. It is not that they want to, but they are required to by their employers. Uh, the employers... Uh, would use them to the, the fullest extent. Um, and um, it is also alarming that even during this pandemic situation, uh, the Labor Department is allowing this uh, import labor scheme to continue. Uh, so I think it is very important to make sure that uh, these workers are all tested on a regular basis. Would the care homes be able to function properly without the imported labour? I think in the short run it would be a problem and therefore uh, it would require some urgent measures such as uh, hiring in addition to what is being provided to the uh, care homes. The government will have to step in to uh, hire more people, much like what they're doing uh, for uh, cleaning and other measures that are, they are taking. Uh, in fact, they are saying that they are hiring about 3,000 people for these additional services. So I think they could also come up with a scheme that would hire more people to go to these care homes to provide services. And also, uh, I think it is important that uh, we should uh, have some long-term plans. Uh, once the pandemic dies down, everything goes back to normal. But the care home situations in terms of the environment and the manpower supply would remain the same. But then the next uh, time around, it could be even more severe. So we have to step up and look at plans to 
to improve the care home environment and staffing ratio immediately. Cannot wait for another phase of pandemic. The government is again extending its citywide COVID testing scheme for three more days, saying there's still demand for the free tests. But more than half of the existing testing centres that haven't been as busy will cease operations from Saturday. Maggie Ho reports. More than 1.3 million people have already been tested, yielding 18 positive results so far. Civil Service Chief Patrick Nibb, who is running the program, says the demand's still here, so the scheme will be extended for three more days until Monday next week. The original week-long scheme had already been extended for four days previously. Mr Nibb urged people to take this chance to fulfil their civic duty and get tested. If you look at it from the uh, public health and also from controlling the epidemic angle, it's not just about yourself, but it's also about the community. We all want the community to overcome the current wave of epidemic and so that we could all return to our normal um, business and activities, including work, travel um, or others, uh, studies, etc. But a majority of the 122 test centres will be shut down from Saturday, with only the 57 busiest ones remaining open. Mr Nib also said the cost of the mainland-backed programme would only be revealed later when the programme is finished. Officials have been stressing that the citywide tests can give the authorities a clearer picture of the coronavirus situation in Hong Kong and allow them to come to more informed decisions on social distancing regulations and border controls. Health Minister Sophia Chen said the data will also help the government prepare for a possible fourth wave of infections. She says the authorities are already making preparations to add more resources for contact tracing and set up more quarantine facilities. For example, our border control measures that we are going to also review, our contact tracing, uh, quarantine and also uh, isolation uh, facilities and also policies. We are also going to review and uh, ramp up that we are going to have more manpower for contact tracing and also increase the facilities for quarantine as well as uh, isolation. Going forward, Ms Chan also said the hospital authority will look at how to increase its own testing capacity, such as handing out more test kits at its clinics. Operators of bars, karaoke's and nightclubs, which are still ordered shut under COVID restrictions, are also demanding financial help from the government. An alliance representing the sector says they're willing to take steps such as requiring all customers to fill in health forms if the authorities allow them to reopen. They're adamant that their establishments don't pose a higher health risk than businesses like restaurants that have remained open. A co-convener of the Bar Industry Alliance, Rogan Wong, told Joanne Wong businesses are struggling badly. Mainly, I guess every boss will experience the pressure from the rental because, you know, not every landlords are very considerate. Uh, reducing rental is not granted, so rental has taken a big portion of our main cost and even we are allowed to operate without the subsidy of the rental, we will be dead very soon. For your situation, your bar, how have you been surviving? We actually just look for ways to borrow money to pay for the rent and we try to negotiate the rent with the landlord like almost every day and try to beg them to reduce the rental. And yeah, and so far we are still doing okay, but I don't know how much longer we can hold it for.
have you let go of any staff? What, what are they going through now? Um, are they taking no pay leaves? Have you been still paying them salaries even though you're forced to close? We reduced the salary of the management and then we try to split some amount to, the, to our entire staff group. And with the government support, we can. it helps a little bit, but it's still not the ideal situation. I understand that your alliance is also proposing to require a health declaration form for every customer before they can enter the premises. What kind of information are you looking for? Their names, phone number, uh, whether they have uh, visited other places in the last two weeks, and their signature and the date. Mainly the information will be used to contact them and trace the source of the virus. And all of this information will be destroyed in 28 days just to protect the customer's privacy. The government has hinted that very much likely um, if the situation allows, then perhaps next week bars will be allowed to open with restrictions. So will you be okay with any form of restrictions? The only restriction I don't prefer is the time limit restriction because as a night, like a bar, people's habit is to start going out at around 10, 11. If the government is to impose a time limit, let's say we have to close at 1, 1 a.m. or close at 2 a.m., then there is no point of having us opening and we might have even a bigger loss financially because there will be no way for us to make money within that short period of time. Brazil's Amazon is once again going up in smoke. A year after international outrage over the extent of the fires, with European leaders pressuring President Jair Bolsonaro to do more to protect the rainforest, the fires this year are showing little signs of slowing. But they aren't just killing the forest, they're also choking its people. The BBC South America correspondent Katie Watson reports from the Amazonian state of Para. Dr. Victorino is sat in the triage room of Sao Felix Tushingu's COVID-19 walk-in centre. He's advising a young patient who thinks she's got the virus. Dr. Victorino and his team have been working relentlessly for six months. They're the best chance for the town's residents, who otherwise have to travel eight hours to the nearest intensive care bed. The situation isn't easing here, he says. He's still seeing new cases daily. But now it's fire season and the team is facing another problem. Every day I have patients returning with breathing problems that are getting worse because of pollution and the fires in the area. They don't know it's because of the smoke. They think they've got COVID-19 again. Because with COVID they just had a dry cough, an irritation, a shortness of breath. When they return, that's got worse. São Félix de Xingu is a town at the heart of the inferno. The region has become a deforestation hotspot in recent years. And as a result, it's also become a focal point for fires, as often illegally cleared land is then illegally burnt too. By day, the smoke drifts into the town and the smell of bonfire lingers in the air. By night, you can sometimes see the sky lit up by flames in the distance. Eugenia Lima Silva knows all too well the effects of the fires. She sat in her front yard with her two children playing stone, paper, scissors. She doesn't take these moments for granted. She was the first person in the town to be diagnosed with COVID-19 back in April. Just 27 years old and no previous health issues. 
but hers was a serious case. She was hospitalized and off work for three months. Sometimes I'm at loss for words to explain just how difficult it was. Even today I have a shortness of breath when the weather is very smoky or polluted like this. I can't work as hard as I want and I can't stay out in the cold. I start to feel pain in my lungs, pain in my chest. Across town on the riverbank, Dr. Lucas Antonio Silva is waiting patiently for a ferry. He's taken an emergency call. A woman who thinks she has COVID-19, but she lives on the other side of the river. He's just missed the boat and it won't be back for another hour. This is the emergency services in the Amazon. Dr. Lucas has been thrown in the deep end. The day after he graduated in March, the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. When finally the ferry arrives, it's a short crossing and then a drive on the other side. We arrive at a closed-up shop where 62-year-old Odeli and her many dogs are waiting for us. She has all the symptoms of COVID-19 and her son is in hospital with the virus. After lots of questions, the team tests her, but the result is negative. It could be two things, Dr. Lucas tells Odeli. Perhaps it's too early to do the test, so COVID-19 can't be detected. In these parts of the Amazon, they only have access to rapid tests rather than the more reliable swab test. But Dr. Lucas also suggests it could be a symptom of smoke inhalation. I'm not ruling COVID-19 out because her smell and taste are affected. She's weak. She's got body pain. We'll continue to test for COVID. Coronavirus is still coursing its way through the community, but their problems are bigger than just COVID-19. People here are on the front line, living in the crosshairs of both the virus and the fires. Finally, films that want to be eligible for a Best Picture Oscar from 2024 will have to meet new inclusion and diversity standards. From Los Angeles, here's the BBC's Peter Bowes. For decades, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has faced criticism over a lack of diversity among its membership and the Oscar nominees and winners they select. The issue came to a head in 2015 when a social media campaign dubbed that year's awards Oscars So White. The new rules will require a film to feature either a prominent actor or 30% of its smaller roles from underrepresented groups or to address issues surrounding minority communities in its storyline. They also require behind-the-scenes roles to be drawn from historically disadvantaged groups including women and LGBT and disabled communities. Those stories were part of the Newsrep programme which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Applications for the second tranche of the Employment Support Scheme can be made from August 31st to September 13th. All subsidies must be used for paying wages. No redundancies can be made during the subsidy period. MPF contributing employers with accounts before the end of March, regardless of whether they applied for the first tranche, and persons with MPF self-employed person accounts set up before the end of March who have not yet received the subsidy are eligible to apply online. Employment Support Scheme, tied over the hard times. For details, visit ess.gov.hk. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to
Welcome to Music Nostalgia with Ray Codero from 9 to 1 a.m. (laughs) 